You're about to get stuck into another edition of the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, breaking down all of the action from a racing weekend in the world of Formula One. And if you like what you hear and what you see, you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on all good podcasting outlets, including Spotify, Anchor.fm, our host and iTunes as well. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the subscribe button down below to stay up to date with all of our content there. And if you like the musings of you and Gail, Sam Hall or Ian Parks, Follow Twitter or Instagram at GPFansGlobal to stay up to date with all of the breaking news in the world of Formula One, or even just get on the website, gpfans.com. But now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to another edition of the GP Fans Stewards Room podcast, where we break down all of the racing action from a Formula One Sunday. What a busy weekend it was in Formula One at the Austrian Grand Prix on and off the track. I'm delighted to say that Ian Parks, Sam Hall and Ewan Gale joining me as always. The Brain Trust are back and the boffins behind GPFans.com's fantastic writing are going to break down everything that went down this weekend. Let's start with you, Ian, from your hotel room in Austria how was the weekend, man? It must have been a long one with the sprint session on Saturday, the qualifying on Friday, and of course, a fantastic race on Sunday as well. It was, uh, I enjoyed the weekend, uh, very tiring, uh, not least because my accommodation was an hour away. Thank all the Max Verstappen fans for that, who book on mass as soon as that race date became live. Uh, so yeah, that just added to the, to the day and the journey, obviously. But uh, yeah, it was a good weekend, uh, good action on track, and um and Ferrari, um, you know, we've criticised them uh, on this on this uh, podcast previously, and for completely messing up with their strategy. And they have done. Let's face it, they have done. But on this occasion, let's give credit where credit is due, and they pulled off a masterstroke in terms of strategy as well. And full credit to Charles Leclerc. And of course, if regular listeners to this podcast will know that. One member of our team after the British Grand Prix turned around and said that Ferrari were not prioritising the drivers' championship. So I'm now going to hand the hand the floor over to that certain member of our team, <laughs> Mr. Ewan Gale. Yeah, I think uh, my point was proven correct by Mattia Bonotto in the lead up to the race, who was saying that uh, reminding people that the championship did involve the Constructors' Championship as well as the Drivers' Championship and uh, that, that the most important thing was that Ferrari had won the race. So uh, just to, before you start digging that one into the back of me, uh, yeah, no, uh, really really good from Ferrari. As you said, completely snookered Red Bull, really, and they were on for an easy 1-2 without Carlos Sainz's power unit problem. Um, in the end, Leclerc was just in a league of his own really had much more pace uh and, and as we said the ferrari uh, pit wall uh, outdid red bull um and even with the throttle glitch at the end they still managed to coax it home uh ahead of verstappen who actually found a bit more pace on that last set of tires so um an interesting one for red bull in terms of they they looked as if they had the weekend sewn up especially after the sprint, and then all of a sudden Ferrari came roaring back. Great for the championship, though. Great for us watching 
Um, it feels like, or it, it felt like the championship was slipping towards Red Bull already and all of a sudden Ferrari has come fighting back at a track that we know is a Red Bull stronghold. So fingers crossed that means that we've got the makings of a battle for the rest of the season now. Yeah, it was interesting when Ian and I were chatting over the weekend on Parks Ferme on gpfans.com and available still on the YouTube channel as well. We were saying after Saturday and going into Sunday's race that this just looked like it was going to be a Max Verstappen kind of cruise session. Sam, where did that come from the Scuderia on the weekend? Uh, it was tyre degradation. That that was literally it. Um, they, the cars were both equally matched on sort of high fuel on sort of long run pace but it was just the tyre degradation possibly I'd guess due to the um, the rain that came overnight on Saturday because completely green track um, and you've got to remember on a sprint weekend on Friday in the first practice they're only only focusing on qualifying ahead of the sprint on Saturday and their other practice session they're only focusing on the sprint so they've got no proper long run data to go with into the race so no one knew what was going to happen. It was on the edge of a one-stop, maybe a two-stop strategy. It ended up being a two-stop. Um, and yeah, it was just tyre degradation that Ferrari were kinder to their tyres. If they had have pushed more, apparently, on Friday or on Saturday and pressured Max at the start of the sprint, they actually think they could have won that as well. Um, so it was a case of lessons learned on Saturday, applied in the race, and they reaped the rewards. Does that kind of give the sprint weekend overall another push into the positive category, do you think, then? The fact that the lack of long-run practice sessions opens us up potentially for a wilder race on a Sunday, even if the grid has been reordered by that sprint on the Saturday. Um, and I don't, I don't mind who takes this one, by the way. It's sort of yes and no. Um, we all know that going into the unknown for a Grand Prix having so many unknown aspects makes for a better race. Um, it's why I wouldn't cry too much about practice one and two on a normal weekend disappearing. Um, but it the unknowns make for a good race, but you can't generalise it too much. We've seen so many races where it's just, yes, we know exactly what's going to happen. We know they're going to do this, that and the other. This is 99% certain to be the winner. So... On this occasion, it worked, but it doesn't always work. Now, talking about Sunday's race overall from the Ferrari point of view, we touched on the fact that obviously Carlos Sainz had his power unit problem that went up in smoke and flames uh, on lap 57 of the Grand Prix. Does Charles Leclerc's victory paper over the still very visible cracks in the reliability of that Ferrari? I mean... He was battling with his own problems with the throttle pedal as well on those final few laps. And there was a chance, you know, if that race is five, six laps longer, Max Verstappen is stood on top of the podium and Charles Leclerc is ruining yet more errors that cost him race victories, Ian. I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse. Ferrari got away with it a little. Yeah, Ferrari do seem, of the two teams at the moment, that little bit more vulnerable when it comes to reliability. We know... Red Bull have had their issues, certainly at the start of the season, that cost Max Verstappen and Checo Perez a good chunk of points. They do still have the odd blips now and again, Red Bull, we've seen that. But the Ferrari power unit, that is a major concern for Matteo Binotto, his drivers, and of course the department at Maranello that handles that system because they seem to have a unit at the moment that is that little bit more fragile 
And if this title race does come down to reliability, and we're at the halfway point now, and both teams have had a fair chunk of unreliability, then you've got to feel that over the second half of the season, if Ferrari don't get on top of these issues quite quickly, then it should still favour Red Bull heading towards both the Drivers' and the Constructors' Championship because you could just see the reaction within Ferrari uh, the moment that went pop. Everybody had their hands on their heads in absolute abject dismay because it was a case of, we've got a one-two nailed here. It was patently obvious that science was going to get Max if not into turn four, where he eventually pulled his car over, of course, very swiftly afterwards at some other point on the next lap. Guaranteed one, two, literally went up in flames. And Ferrari have to get this sorted, otherwise they will lose both championships. Yeah, and the concern as well will be the, the nature of the failure. It wasn't just the engine shut down like we've seen previously. It was, it, I mean, it was worse than just a blow-up. It completely internally imploded they, they, it was throwing bits out the back of the car the side pods were getting torn to bits as it was exploding inside it was a it was a big problem uh now whether that's altitude related if it is we've got plenty of high altitude races at the end of the season that they're going to start worrying about as well when we get into the to the real nitty-gritty of the championship so yeah big problems for ferrari and and the like i said the nature of it i think would worry them more than the fact that it was another but it's a big problem for Ferrari this weekend anyway. I mean, we, we touched on, as uh, as Ian handed over to you and earlier, about Matteo Bonotto talking about the Constructors title as well. A 1-2 for Ferrari this weekend, Sam, would have been great for the Scuderia, with obviously Sergio Perez having his problems that came from that contact with George Russell going around Turn 4 on lap 1. I mean, this is another big opportunity that Ferrari... And I don't want to be too negative about what was an unbelievable drive, particularly at the end from Charles Leclerc, to win that Grand Prix. But you're still looking at the other side of the uh, seesaw, if you will, and being like, that's still another opportunity lost to make up more ground in both titles in terms of the constructors this week. Yeah, um, and it showed from the fact that Christian Horner described Red Bull's weekend as damage limitation as well, when both both cars had one one horse out of the race essentially after Perez was involved in his crash early on with George Russell, um, so Red Bull I think only lost five points across the weekend to to Ferrari, and that's nothing when you consider that they've got almost a hundred point advantage as it is five points. Red Red Bull aren't going to care or complain about that, are they? They're just going to go well. Yeah, we we've. we've survived it Ferrari should have had a one-two again it's and we don't want to rag on too much about Ferrari because I mean so they've had a good weekend it was it was just unfortunate for Carlos um but it is more problems it's another hit in according to you and the only championship that they particularly care about (laughs) um so I mean should they focus on the drivers now is is the constructors too far gone even halfway through it's it's going to be interesting to see what they actually do. There's a lot of time yet, though, Sam. Come on. I mean, we are halfway <laughs> through. There's another 11 races to go. Anything can happen. It's just interesting as well when we think how the improvements that Ferrari made last year with that power unit, bringing a new unit in towards the end of last year to usurp McLaren in that best of the rest status. 
and now it's that power unit in these new cars that's suddenly being so problematic for them and um, I think we discussed it earlier on in the podcast this year of why this was happening when the reliability issues really crept in for Ferrari and I don't know if any of you have still managed to get your thumb on what that problem is with the power unit because Ferrari certainly don't seem to have done uh, right now an excellent weekend as well for Mercedes has to be said Lewis Hamilton on the podium for the second race in a row in a row in a row uh, three podiums uh, now all third position for this season for Lewis Hamilton but Mercedes kind of got it right a little bit lucky as well with George Russell getting that five second penalty that didn't hinder him too much as he came around in points positions too they're still just showing signs that they're coming back here aren't they Ewan yeah, I, I think so. I think, as we said earlier on in the season, the, the W13 has got pace in that car. Um, they know it, otherwise they wouldn't have built it. They're, they're a smart bunch of people. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it's clearly got pace. I think Lewis was pretty much on the same pace as Charles and Max towards the end of the race, um, once he got clean air. And I think if you'd given Toto Wolf the opportunity to finish third and fourth at the end of the first lap when Hamilton was behind two Hasses still, even though he had a sprint to uh, to make up ground and George was busy hitting red balls off the circuit, then I think Toto would have been really happy uh, with third and fourth. And, you know, the, again, the pace that they showed, the pace they showed in qualifying before they crashed, that was promising because the one lap was where they were really struggling compared to Ferrari and Red Bull. So the fact that they were competitive over a one lap um, is probably the most pleasing thing. It's a circuit that Mercedes have not been good at in recent years as well. So, you know, fingers crossed again that that is another car that can be added to the to the fight for poles and wins in the future because you know, the more the merrier. If, if we can get Mercedes up there, if we can get McLaren up there, if we can get Alpine, whoever it is, Get them all up there because the racing that we've got at the moment is fantastic, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, Mercedes, I think they'll be happy. They're on the back foot with parts now, but I think they'll be mainly happy. And just before people type anything, once they've listened to this, it's actually three podiums in a row for Lewis and four overall this Apologies. season. Just to Apologies. politely correct my learned colleague, Let Holly I, Wilson. I get slammed for, apparently for being a Hamilton lover. Uh, by people on the YouTube comments. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to tip the scales a bit and get it all nice and even keel. Um, let's talk about then the issues that took place off and around the track this weekend, because while the race was fantastic when it was taking place, uh, there were certainly issues all over for Formula One in general. Let's talk about firstly what happened with Carlos Sainz when his car went up in flames on lap 57 and the delayed reaction of the marshals. The marshals, who we do need to give credit, and I think we've made sure we give credit on gpfans.com, for their, their volunteer marshal work that is normally exemplary at so many races, but it was a kind of glaring negative light on the marshals with the camera angle that saw a marshal running down with a fire extinguisher to the... the fire that was around Carlos Sainz's rear of his car and then putting it down running back I assume to go and get one of the blocks to try and stop it from rolling back on the track but Sainz is stranded in a burning vehicle it took too long for them to get to him what can the FIA do Ian with this situation because it feels like it's just a track to track individual basis rather than a damnation on marshals in general yeah as you say Ollie we've You've got to remember that these guys are volunteers, first and foremost. They obviously do undergo training. 
beforehand. They are chosen for what are believed to be their abilities in handling such incidents. I feel coming out of this one that the FIA will go to the stewards um, body perhaps and get them to with regard to the Austrian GP this is and with and get them to conduct their own investigation as to what happened in this particular case because what we all saw was quite clearly not good enough it is not what we expect from marshals attending not just a Formula One race but any motor racing event the last thing you expect to see is when a car is on fire a marshal is all of a sudden changing his mind and not putting out the fire when a driver is sat there regardless of his best intentions as you say was he trying to go and find something to stop the car from rolling backwards because as we saw it was heading towards the track now obviously if Carlos had a moment's thought he would have put full lock so the car would have rolled and hit the wall behind but of course when you've got a fire behind you there's no clarity of thought you know he, he might have had Roman Grosjean going through it through his head for for all we know and as I say when you've got that and you can feel the heat you can hit you've got the sound you've got the, the flames burning away that maybe there wasn't any clarity of thought from Carlos for that moment to just put the lock on uh, and similarly with the marshal, maybe he just was trying to do his best by going to get something, but his first thought should have been get the fire out and then get Carlos out, or at least get something then to go and get the block and then get Carlos out. So as I say, I'm pretty confident that it will be looked at. It's not going to be shoved under the carpet, this one. And hopefully something positive will come out of it because, as you say, there's a lot of negativity around it, but let's deal with it and then hopefully move on and marshals at other circuits can learn from this as well that's going to be the overriding message i think what do we learn out of this rather than let's ragging on all the marshals that were there and that one particular marshal in particular let's learn from this take the positives move on and so we can apply those to to whatever might occur next time around my other concern on this is obviously there's marshal posts and I can't speak for that particular one, but marshal posts are seldom manned by one person. So we're saying that you had essentially two people's worth of jobs here to be done. Someone's come put out the car, the fire on the car. Someone to make sure the car was stationary so that signs could get out of the car safely. And that, so two people were required, and there was quite clearly only one person running around like a headless chicken going... Well, both jobs are important. Which one do I do first? Um, there was so- a second marshal there, Sam. If Because uh, I, I went back and watched the incident again this morning. There was the guy that brought the fire extinguisher down and then went back, and he wasn't the marshal that ended up stopping it. It was a second marshal that came round as well. So I, I would think it's fair to say there were probably two marshals at that pen. It's just that one reacted quicker than the other, maybe, but then changed his mind about his priorities of which one to go with, which are, which may have been a problem. So that does beg the question then of just what went on. And as Ian says, hope the FIA investigate every incident on and off track. So we've got to rely on their processes to now go, right, what happened? How do we stop it happening again? And hopefully that will draw a line under the matter. 
is it important that we at gpfans.com and members of the media in general don't overblow this situation to create a massive negative spiral around marshals because as we said earlier and we have said they do 99.999 times out of 100 do an incredible job uh volunteering for what are very dangerous positions at times and, and a dangerous incident for them to even be involved in there and they normally make the correct call and the right decision and clear things up very quickly we is it important that we kind of go right let's just make sure it's a learning curve for the fia not a dramatic overreaction yeah yeah 100 percent. i think as sam pointed out there and i think as, as ian sort of alluded to as well i think it is more of an fia problem than a marshall problem because i, I mean i put myself in that position and I think the marshal did the right thing first in that situation. If 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 I was doing it, because yeah, you can run down the hill towards a racetrack with a car that's on fire with the driver still in it, going in in towards the direction of traffic, or you can try and stop the car, get the driver out, and then put the fire out. I feel like that makes more sense than letting a car run onto the track on fire mm. with the driver in it with then marshals chasing that i think that's a wholly uh more dangerous situation than what we ended up with it didn't look good it was a bit frightening to be honest seeing signs trying to get out but i think it just comes down to the manpower there you know having more uh of the brilliant volunteer marshals that they they have um you know they need four or five at each station because really you need one fire marshal you need one to sort the car you need another one to help sort the car you need someone to get the driver out in a crash um or or to tend to the driver after a crash so you know that's four and then obviously you've got a flag marshal so that that that's what was the alarming thing about me is that there just didn't seem to be enough people at the the situation the other thing could potentially be every single marshal carries a rucksack that has one of those stopping blocks in it. So that's always there at all times. And then they can react with a fire extinguisher as well. There are, there are loads of places, I think, that the FIA can, can learn, as we said, from this incident. Let's talk about the stewards in this incident as well. A flaming car on the side of the circuit it was touched on in commentary as well by Martin Brundle. A virtual safety car rather than a full-blown safety car and there was a lot to discuss about the stewards and track limits which i know ewan is a huge fan of getting into track limits on this podcast but but did that warrant sam a, a full-blown safety car with a flaming ferrari on the side of the track rather than the virtual safety car i think yes purely because of the way that the ferrari engine expired and the way that it wasn't known if there was any debris on the track. We saw that it was spitting out chunks of what I'm assuming was probably metal out of the back of uh, the exhaust system. So that creates a danger for the drivers. Are the tyres going to either be punctured? Are they going to flick up a piece of debris into another driver's helmet? Or something frightening like that? I think in that instance, it required a full safety car. If it had been sort of something less severe and there was still a car on fire I would have said no it didn't and they covered it right but in this instance I think uh, especially with a recovery vehicle in the gravel that's the tipping point for me because we saw with Jules Bianchi several years ago exactly what can happen when there's a recovery vehicle Mm. on the track don't want to do that we don't want that again so as soon as there's a recovery vehicle on track you stop the you suspend the race you put the safety car out i mean if the safety car comes out ian that's a max verstappen win 
judging by everything else that happened with Ferrari as well. It bunches up the pack and suddenly Verstappen's got uh, Leclerc struggling with a, a throttle in front of him. I mean, it could have been a game changer in terms of who was on the top step of this podium. And as we've touched on, all points really matter in these drivers' championships. On such incidents, titles and championships do turn, don't they? So, <laughs> Well, we don't need to talk about safety cars again in that aspect, to be no. honest. We had a lot of that last year. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we know what can happen. We had, you just touched on it there, going back to the biggest talking point of last season. These things do occur. On this occasion, it didn't come out and it didn't aid Max's cause. We've still got a title fight, thankfully. Ferrari have proven they are in it. Who knows what might come up over the second half of the season, whether something as explosive does happen, as we saw in Abu Dhabi. We just want a nice, clean title fight, but we know anything can happen in motorsport. All these incidents eventually snowball and create the championship we have and the standings that we get at the end of a season. You just can't call it as mm. to what's going to happen. We've, nobody's got a crystal ball. The, as I say, they're all part and parcel of a motor racing season. In this case, there was no safety car. It didn't help Max. There was the VSC that's played more towards Charles's hand and he got the win. That's, yeah. all that can, that's all we can say on that. As I say, we just don't know what's going to happen and what might occur and what might other twists and turns might before us uh, well, before the end of this campaign it brings us to and that takes us on to all the track limits discussion from this weekend as well and it brings us to consistency with the stewards which again we uh, discussed a little bit over the weekend getting the same decisions the same time over and over race to race to race this is a topic now that's kind of bubbled up right to the surface of formula one and i imagine it's going to be sticking around for a fair bit of time at least until the lengthy summer break that we have in a, in august there is huge frustration within the drivers they're being asked about it quite often now because these things are occurring this inconsistency is occurring far too much for their liking the driver's briefing on friday in Austria, speaking to a few of the drivers across the weekend, they said, and I'll quote Mick Schumacher, we were going around in circles. That gives you some idea as to what's happening between the drivers and race direction at the moment, that there is quite clearly these major discrepancies between the pairs, the two sets of um, opposing factions here and there's frustration and within Sebastian Vettel that absolutely boiled over on Friday that he quite clearly had had enough that they were getting nowhere that they were just going around in circles and he stormed out I mean that says something for a driver to storm out of a meeting because he's they feel as a group that they're not getting anywhere with the stewards and Someone somewhere now has to step in and make a decisive decision. Decisive decision. Make a firm decision. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Be decisive and make a firm decision. There we go. That's what I was going to try, going to try and say. Because otherwise this isn't going to, going, to, going to go away anytime soon. So FIA has to make clear calls, consistent calls. Now whether that is having one, di one race director, as you and I discussed in Parks Ferme 
uh, on Sunday before the race, whether that is having at least one um, one steward that goes from one Grand Prix. There's, there's a team of four, just to, just to clarify. There's always a team of four at each Grand Prix. So even if one of that four then goes into the next Grand Prix, then at least within that next group of four, there is one person that was present at the previous race and can apply that a degree of consistency and can help the other three people that are with him at that next race. And then from that race, you then take one person and he then goes forward, he or she then goes forward to the following race. So you at least, as I say, there's always one person that was in attendance at the previous race that's then at the next race. That, to me, seems logical. So you have, there is a, then at least a degree of consistency going forward within the stewards at each Grand Prix. But as we know, the FIA and Magic often don't go together, but something needs to be done. The problem is, is that they've proven now over, what, 11 races, there has been something at every single race. And it's just beyond the joke now, because it, it, is, it seems to be that there's always, at every second race, we're complaining about something that doesn't matter. And it's, it's ridiculous. It is honestly ridiculous. Um, it's is, not that even bit, ju- is that a bit harsh, though? You and, I mean, no, it's a no, it's not job. harsh. No, because because we're talking about uh, a, a championship where teams spend hundreds of thousands of pounds to get half a tenth of a second to beat their rivals. You at least expect that the referees of that sport apply the rule book properly. You, you, you know, there, there's so much at stake, uh, and and it's just. It's not even just consistency because obviously, like last week in or, or the week before in Britain, uh, we had cars being forced off track. Great, great racing, fine, perfect. And then Albon gets a penalty in Austria, like you know, and he he didn't even force him off track that much. It was still probably half a car's width on the the main bit of track. Um, you had George Russell being penalised for his contact with Sergio Perez at the start. Now we've come to believe that on the first lap, unless you are wildly out of control, you're not going to get penalised. All of a sudden he's penalised. That right or wrong, it's going against the rhetoric that we've been fed for the last two years. Um, you go back to Saudi Arabia with the whole thing about who crossed the safety car line out the pits first. I mean, you don't need to be clever to figure out which car hits the line first and to just tell them to swap behind the safety car. It's little things like that. We had the fuss in Monaco about whether to start the race or not. So this is race direction now and the stewards. Do they, do they do they actually know what they're doing or are they guessing? And is that down to the rule book being updated all the time and not actually having stuff taken out of it? Because as we said with Abu Dhabi last year, a lot of that came from the fact that rules were being updated but then you had rules sort of playing off against each other, creating the confusion. Now, is that why we're in this state now where the stewards and the drivers are butting heads because the stewards are trying to implement stuff and the drivers are like, yeah, but that also exists. Um, It's silly. And then, I mean, just to top it off for me, and I really hope that someone comes out and says something about this, to suggest that Sebastian Vettel wasn't being a role model. I mean, come on, the one driver on that grid. 
uh, the, sorry, the two drivers on that grid, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, for everything they do for the sport and away from the sport, to come out in that statement when they gave the suspended fine to say that he wasn't being a good role model. That sorry, that's tone deaf. That is, that is absolutely tone deaf, and it's deplorable. So you know, I hope that they come out and say something about that because that's not that's not good enough. And if you're trying to rework the relationship with the drivers to move forward on stuff like this, statements like that don't help. Yeah, I, I tried to ask, or like, I asked Seb twice uh, in the uh, media pen post race on Sunday. What are your thoughts? He said, "Ask the FIA." I tried to ask the question in a different way. Ask the FIA. He. You could tell he, he's not happy. I mean, it was a very, very unusual statement, that the steward statement that came out after that. Not, they don't go into that level of personal uh, attack. They're normally very straightforward, very matter of fact. This happened, that happened. Uh, this, is our, this is our decision. This is why we made the decision. They don't go, as I say, make it personal. So... What what was their motive? And I, I, I will try and ask the FIA what was their motive behind that uh, at some point, because it, it just as as you and said, it just uncalled. It's a, it's a disgrace, to isn't it? To criticise like that, it's a disgrace. They don't do that. Not one of the guy. Not one of the guys that are present in F one. He and Lewis above everybody. They are two of the biggest role models within F one. Uh, regardless of what you might think of Sebastian and his uh, activities off track and what he's trying to do and what he's trying to promote, and I think they're all very commendable, what he's trying to do. Uh, he, he's an absolute hero to the sport at the moment. He's showing another side to what these drivers are all about. You know, we're getting an insight into their personalities and their character that we've not seen for a long, long time. And I think... That is utterly commendable. So for the FIA to come out with a statement like that and criticise him for not being a role model because he walked out, do me a favour. Well, get I, a grip, FIA. You criticise the stewards, you get penalised, and then there's an apology that will always come out from a driver or team principal for getting any sort of personal criticism towards a steward or an individual member of the FIA. I don't think we're going to see the stewards and the FIA making that same sort of apology to Sebastian Vettel for, for making a comment like that. There's a, a huge element of hypocrisy to it. Yeah, but the other thing as well is that the, the whole situation came up because there were fractions in the driver's briefing between the drivers and the FIA. So what they've done is they've gone and criticised the head of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, the director of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, who represents the drivers in meetings. Of the, like, it's just brainless. and But... But also, if it was that much of a problem to come out with a statement like that, why give a suspended fine? Just fine him. Like, if, it, if it's that much of a problem, show a bit of backbone and fine him. It just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get I think it. He, I think it was suspended, Ewan, because obviously he did go and apologise. I think if he hadn't have apologised... He shouldn't have. That would, that would, I agree. He <laughs> shouldn't have. <laughs> I agree. But I think that's the reason why it was suspended, because he did apologise. Without that, it would have been, you're fined. Yeah. Which shows how much of a role model Sebastian Vettel is. The fact that he was willing to suck it up and go and apologise and, and try and make peace in the whole situation. Um, before we go, we should mention the uh, instances in the crowds 
uh, in Austria this weekend. Absolutely deplorable beyond anything else that we've discussed this weekend. Racist, homophobic and misogynistic abuse is completely intolerable anywhere in the world, let alone when fans are just trying to enjoy, enjoy a day at a racetrack. I don't know if there's much more that needs to be said on this topic, except that people should be hopefully safe to go and enjoy Formula One wherever they are in the world, whoever they are, and sit in the stands and take in a, a race and not have to deal with any sort of abuse like that. And, and hopefully those instances will be looked into and people may face repercussions for what they've said and done and their actions. And just actually to congratulate Formula One and all of the drivers, including Lewis Hamilton and uh, Max Verstappen that have stepped up very quickly and said, look, this is unacceptable. This isn't what we stand for. Despite whatever is being said elsewhere about ideas like the We Race As One uh, initiative in Formula One. But hopefully... It will at least inspire some more proactive change to create a safe environment for fans in Formula One. And a safe environment for fans to enjoy Formula One news is, of course, gpfans.com, where you can find Ian, Ewan and Sam discussing all of the ins and outs from the racing weekend and beyond in F1. GP Fans Global, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok as well. And follow us on YouTube where you can like and subscribe and of course leave your comments down below this video as well. Gentlemen, thank you very much as always and uh, we will catch up in a few weeks time. Thank you, Ollie. Thanks for listening and watching, folks. We appreciate it.